is Bill Landis, Jeremy Birmingham, and I am Austin Ward. And after a long wait, our national nightmare is over. <laughs> it is time for the much-teased, much-anticipated Ballyhooed breakdown of the offensive tackles. So I don't know why Berm and I are here. We're just going to yeah. probably tap out, and we're going to let Bill cook. I could do this solo, I think. I, I am... Uh... And that's not a comment on, on, on your guys' podcasting ability, but I think if I was ever going to be able to do a show by myself, I think it might be this one. I uh, think that you're more prepared than ever. After we <laughs> got the chance to talk to Justin Fry last week, you can actually put some insight from him into you know your own analytical way of thinking about it. And Bill, like bottom line, has anything changed from the way you thought the offensive tackles were going to shake out three weeks ago or a month ago when the Josh Simmons stuff really started percolating to now? Um, not tremendously. I th I think maybe maybe just that the like Justin Fry did leave the door open for the sides to change for Josh Fryer and, and Josh Simmons. Um, I I thought Fryer was good at times at left tackle. I think maybe the the spring game wasn't his best, but I also think that maybe it makes a little sense for a guy in his position who's like learning a new spot that it's it sort of gets more difficult as it goes on because. I guess like the more first team reps you get against like JT Tuimolo, I, I think JT's probably going to win more often than not against almost anybody. Um, so that it didn't look great in the spring game, I don't think is terribly alarming, but it's a reminder that he was new to the spot and, and has to keep getting better. And Josh Simmons has only ever played right tackle, so you kind of have you might have two guys who are maybe are best suited to play right tackle. I I don't think it is all that alarming that you have to figure out which one of them can play the left side, but. Um, if you were, and like I was, just assuming that Josh Fryer was definitely going to be the left tackle in the fall, maybe it's not so definite. I think it's still likely and maybe highly likely, but um, I was a little surprised at the extent to which Justin Fry kind of left that kind of up for debate or, or, or open uh, as a competition as, you know, they're, what, two months away from camp still. I think that one of the things that is plays in Ohio State's favor is that the schedule is somewhat um, nice as far as you, you know, you're not running into one of those elite pass rushers until Penn State. Um, and, and when Chop Robinson and those guys, and the way Penn State does their pass rush is always a problem. So I think you have time to like continue to get comfortable no matter what side of the line you're on, right? Yeah, I would, I would think so. And, and I know I don't think you want to be in a, in a position where you keep flip flopping guys for the first like three games, four games. No, you want to have them fit <laughs> into a spot, but you at yeah. least have time to get comfortable. Right. I th yeah. Right. There's, there is a, there's a little, even if it is, you know, it's a, it's a big 10 opener road game, right? I don't, I don't want to be dismissive of that, but it is Indiana. Um, so I, I think even that is, is a fairly friendly opener for Ohio state and it gives them three, three games to get ready for Notre Dame. And I don't know what to make of Notre Dame's pass rush. I frankly, I haven't, I haven't studied them all that closely yet, but you're right. I think, I think, well, you know, the they Notre don't Dame have game. Isaiah Foskey this year. Right. So that, that right. at least is a step in the positive they direction. They needed to take a transfer portal addition from Ohio State from their reserves in Javante Jean Baptiste. So I'm oh not yeah, sure I forgot that, about that. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know that that necessarily creates a lot of concern. I would take a slightly different tact on the Indiana game. I don't. That can't be a period of experimentation at left or right tackle because I think that you have a desperate defensive head coach who has shown a tendency in the past to come up with elaborate blitzes. So even if Indiana doesn't have a great pass rush per se or pass rusher, they're going to throw a lot of stuff out there at Ohio State with Fryer and Simmons and everybody else up there that's going to cause some confusion. So I'm sort of of the mindset that 
if Josh Fryer had all of spring to make that claim at left tackle and Josh Simmons, like maybe, maybe he'll just truly blow everybody away in the first week or throughout these summer workouts and make, well, let's start camp and flip flop them. I don't know that that's going to happen. I, I feel like they're probably going to line up with Josh Fryer at the le- on the left side when they start camp and Josh Simmons on the right side and then start getting ready for Indiana and blitzes and just roll from there. And then if it becomes a problem, maybe then you reconsider. But I, I would be surprised. Uh, and, and look, Justin Fry is going to know way more about this. Mike Saloni is going to know way more about this. I will defer to any judgment that they make. But my sense is that they would go in with letting the, the older Josh stick at left tackle since that's where he got all of those reps in March and April. Three Joshes in the offensive line room now. we gotta, we got to figure out what the can never have too many. Josh Joshua and I, Josh Padilla can just be Jay. He'll earn the rest of the name when he when he gets on the field. I guess he's just he's Joey, Joey, Joey Padilla. Um, I think I I think you're right. Um, and you make a good point about Indiana that that I'm I'm probably wrong on my assessment of that game because Tom Allen and, and McIlary are definitely going to throw the kitchen sink at Ohio State's offensive line and whoever the new quarterback is, Kyle McCord, Devin Brown, either one of them. Um, they haven't seen um, a defense that can get like pretty exotic in that way. So I think that is going to happen. Um, I also would be surprised if if it ends up with Josh Simmons on the left and Josh Fry on the right. I think maybe the conversation was more a product with Justin Fry just like not wanting to paint himself into a corner should changes arise. And we're like, hey, what's this about? Um, but I think they're going to do stuff like throughout the summer, have him set bo- on both sides, see what looks comfortable, what doesn't. Maybe they do a little bit of that in the in the first week of camp or so. But I don't I don't know that they're going to get like to their first scrimmage of camp and like not know which side of the line those guys are going to play. And I think they'll have a pretty good idea of what it's going to look like before then. And I tend to agree with you that it'll still be Josh Fryer on the left side. And when you look at this, um, both of you guys obviously, I mean Berm. You know that it was probably likely to take Zen Mahalski and Tegra Shibola a couple of years to develop. That's the way it works on the offensive line. So I guess I'm teeing this up by saying just because Ohio State felt the need to add Josh Simmons to help now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Buckeyes have punted on the future for those two guys. Yeah, and it's not just those two guys. You still have George Fitzpatrick and Luke Montgomery also in the tackle mix. So you have four guys to work into the rotation and try to get some some playing time this year if you can. Hopefully you can do that against Arkansas State or Youngstown State or Bowling Green and, and get those guys some reps until you get into the meat of the Big Ten season. But um, certainly Mahalski coming from a very small school uh, on the you know southeast Indiana, uh, Tegra Shabola, who has played a lot of guard at you know, in that style of offense where he's really just a, a run blocker in high school. Um, Luke Montgomery, who played multiple spots on the line, and and the George Fitzpatrick, who's the, the true tackle of that group, I think. Um, all those guys are at different points of their development, and they're all going to be used by Ohio State. Um, I think it's unfortunate that you haven't had a, a little bit deeper uh, room there as far as the veterans go and the way that the recruiting has worked out in the last couple of years. But uh, certainly Justin Fry is uh, aiming to fix that in the 2024 class, uh, hosting two of the country's best offensive tackles for for visits in the next two weeks. Um, they've already signed the number one ranked offensive tackle, and according to Rivals.com, or not signed, but landed a commitment from Ian Moore. And then you have uh, Deontay Armstrong from Cleveland St. Ignatius. So you have tackle bodies, true tackles coming in, but the last five years for Ohio State recruiting has been guys that are are in that six foot five, three hundred and five pound range. You've had one true tackle really in that time in Paris Johnson, 
and then one project in Dewan Jones, who obviously isn't built like a you know Goliath of some sort. So it, you don't <laughs> you just put him wherever he can play. Uh, he turned out to be a pretty darn good offensive lineman, but uh, it's just not a position that they've been able to recruit very well. It's a very high priority, very um, high. Uh, Oh, that's what I'm looking for here. Dollar. It's a high dollar position in the recruiting game. <laughs> it's an expensive uh, one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when you're talking, there's only four or five of them every year that you can sort of pencil in as potential starters or, or early playing time guys. And um, it, you're competing against everyone in the country for those four or five guys. And it's not always easy to win those battles. Bill, let's, let, let's make one note, though, that we should get Burma a copy of this year's schedule and not last year's. I don't like last year's schedule. <laughs> Who do they play this year? Toledo? Not Arkansas State, not Bowling Green. But what? Um, I thought they played BG this year. No, they they play um, Youngstown, the, Western Youngstown, and Western Kentucky. Uh, yeah. I I was and then I was no thinking ch- about Bowling Green, Kentucky, where Western Kentucky is located. Ah, no, next no. that's wow. next level. That's that next next. I'm gonna I gotta say that I don't believe you, but that worked out well. <laughs> <laughs> then they do play some team in the middle of Indiana. That's a non-conference game, or in the middle. I don't know. That's not geography. Never mind. It's like northern, northern Indiana, northern middle, northern, northern middle. middle. Perfect. Yeah. Anyway, continue, Bill. I told you guys I've lost the last year. I don't know where, <laughs> what's happened. That um, that does reinforce the point that now yeah. you're skipping a you're skipping back in time, and because it wasn't really encouraging when you told me that Liberty was going back to kindergarten earlier this week. Yeah, but sorry anyway. about that. You didn't know. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. He was just he was letting you on this. No surprise that your daughter had the repeat kindergarten. You didn't know that. Uh, confirmed yeah. it. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I wanted to circle back on George Fitzpatrick and Zen Mohowski because, like, as I was putting this together at OhioState.Rivals.com, I I like very quickly became uh, pretty high, like, or, or bullish, I suppose, on like the future of the position. I, I think like the it's one addition, right? But it's a it's a big addition to add Josh Simmons in there. But the fact that you can bring him in is is what I consider to be a plug and play starter, and then give Zen and George just like one more year to get ready. And and it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be starters in twenty twenty four because I, I think your starters in twenty twenty four right now I would guess they're Josh Fryer and Josh Simmons again. But if like George Fitzpatrick, I think Burn, correct me if I'm wrong, he's only been playing tackle for like three years because he was a tight end i think before he played tackle in high school and then zen was like a defensive end before he played tackle in high school so like both those guys just haven't played the position very long so another year for them could be incredibly beneficial yeah some maholski as a junior in high school was six foot five 230 pounds and then you know put on 60 pounds going into a senior year and really changed his future so yeah you're absolutely right about that neither one of these guys are long-time tackle um you know uh players and neither is Luke Montgomery, neither is Tegra Stabola. So any opportunity you can get to just get extra time to develop is huge. Yeah. So I don't, I, especially if it ends up that your starters this year are your starters next year, then I think tackle was in a really good spot, actually. Like I, I was, I was surprised about how good I felt about the future. Um, once I kind of looked at it that way, I still think 2023 could, could get a little dicey because you need a third. Like, I don't know who the third is. Like if, if I, I like Fryer and Simmons, I think will eventually become good starters for Ohio state this year. And the schedule will help them settle into that, but there's nothing behind them at the tackle position where I'm like, okay, if something were to happen they're they're okay. Like the, the surest thing might be kicking Donovan Jackson out the tackle. And even that's a, a pretty big unknown commodity. So I think 2023, there's still, um, I, I don't want to say like reason for concern. Cause that feels too strong, but like there's, there's just an unknown lingering there that I, that I think is, is a little precarious, but long-term given what Josh or Justin Fry, excuse me, has done recruiting. 
and and how they could really well, probably bring everybody back from from the group they have now a year from now. Um, I think it's a rather strong position group for for the future. We said this coming out of spring camp. It it was just hard to evaluate mainly Zen Mahalski. He he missed a, a little bit of time when we were in there watching uh, with a, a short term knee injury. You know, Tegra seemed to be you know up and down, floundering just a little bit, which is what prompted the move for Josh Simmons. But they were also going against like some of the best pass rushers in America, and that they had. The advantage was squarely on the defense. And I'm just thinking back to the way that Ryan Day and Justin Fry talked about it during camp, which was like, yes, these are 15 days. The defensive ends are going to be ahead here. Like, we still think by after another summer, 29 days in August, that, you know, Zen Mahalski could be there. Like, they weren't hitting a panic button necessarily. Maybe those of us watching and, uh, you know, fan base, et cetera, felt more concerned than Ohio State and the coaching staff were letting on at least publicly. I mean, they had to have some level or they wouldn't have added somebody in the transfer portal. But I don't feel like, and I mentioned this earlier with Berm, like that they don't think that there's an ability for Zen Mahalski to get there and then potentially be the third that you're talking about now, Bill. Yeah, I think I think he can get there. Um, and but but I think that is and I get like Zen, I guess, is going into his third year and maybe you'd want a guy who's going into his third year to be ready to start by this point. I just think offensive line is different and and the players develop at at their own pace, probably more at this position than they do at any other. It's just really difficult. And then you throw in the physical changes he had to make the the positional changes he's been making over the last couple of years, as as Burr mentioned. Um, It just felt like maybe it was a year early and it's not to say that he couldn't have done it, but I, but like that was what made me feel just a little bit like, I don't know. Uh, We'll see. But now if it's, he has the the camp and, and let's like he'll, he'll compete for the job. Like I'm sure they're, they're going to couch this as a competition still. And, and they should, they should make it as competitive as possible. But if the end result is like, he's not ready to start quite yet, but camp is now about, can you become tackle number three into the game when we need that? I think that's a different proposition. I think that is like a different development arc and, and one that probably better suits where Zen is sort of where in his development as a football player. And there's the added benefit, I think, with Joshua Simmons, who I don't know if he wants to be called Joshua, so let's just be clear. It seems uh, like he doesn't. Well, whatever. He's Joshua to me. Um, I think the, the added benefits that you get from a guy like that is that you insulate uh, Tegra Shabola and Zen Mulholski from potentially having a confidence crisis that I think that they were on the verge yeah. of potentially entering into this spring. Um both those guys, because they're so relatively new to the position, neither one of them is a big, audacious personality that's going to just, you know, they're not super confident, like self-assured guys, right? And they need to grow into that. And when you have this spring and you watch people sort of pulling them apart a little bit and and nitpicking everything they do, I think that there was an opportunity maybe it, it, to, to have that continue into the fall. And if that did, you may lose a kid mentally and not get him back. Uh, and I think that that's where you really get some added benefit from Josh Simmons because he allows that development arc, as Bill talked about, to slow down and let these guys get there on their own timeline as opposed to the perhaps unrealistic expectation that people have on them just because you're a third-year guy at Ohio State. Berm, I had a, a question I wanted to ask you that I almost asked during the, the interior offensive line discussion and didn't, so I'm glad I get the opportunity to ask it now. Um there are a lot of in-state offensive linemen that I think you could reasonably convince yourself that Ohio State should like take a shot on. 
Um, and, and clearly Justin Fry's trying to pick his spots there. Uh, I'm wondering if in a world where there are no rules, as we said a million times, and class sizes can be bigger, and Ohio State seems more open to the idea of taking a bigger class, should Ohio State just take all of them? Like, should they just offer all of the in-state offensive linemen that they think might eventually be Ohio State caliber, bring them in and see what shakes out, and then if half of them aren't, at least you found the four or five that might be? Without uh, having to do the guesswork beforehand? Yeah, I think that the reason you don't do that is because you're entering a world where the transfer portal exists, and you'd rather go out three years from now and get a guy that you've already seen play college ball and watch develop as opposed to having to hope that you didn't waste three years on a guy who you weren't sure about. And, and that's ultimately when you look at players like Luke Hamilton committed to Michigan or Ben Roebuck committed to Michigan or William Satterwhite, who has offers from Alabama and Georgia, Penn State, Michigan, Notre Dame, et cetera. The Buckeyes have watched these kids over and over and over and decided hey, that's, that's not what we're looking for. They, they, they like Deontay Armstrong and Devontae Armstrong and Mark Nave, and those are the three they, they offered, and those are the three they have a, a commitments from. It certainly is a risk um, because you just don't know how it develops uh, throughout the time from here to three years from now. And the real, the real rub here is that we all pretty much assume Justin Fry won't be at Ohio State three years from now. So uh, the next offensive line coach is really going to be the guy that's responsible for the development of these guys anyway. And at that point, when all these players from around Ohio or around the country start to shake out where they shake out, then you go back and say, oh, now you are three years down the road. Let's bring you back home. I mean, it, it is weird. I, I think Ohio State, I think we're seeing them change the philosophy of all all uh you know prep guys all the time or and versus or two like hey let's sign 20 or 21 or 22 guys from high school and save room for seven eight transfers every year because that is how you're gonna have to build these rosters from now on i think that'll be interesting moving forward because uh, i think this is right that only i think only two of the offensive tackles that were drafted in the most recent nfl draft were were transfers all the other ones were like homegrown players who stayed where they were recruited but it's a small sample size too i'm sure over we've only been doing this for two or three years i'm sure that number will continue to, to uptick um over the years but i do think that because you said earlier right there's there's only so many guys in a given recruiting class that you that you think could really hit early because it's such a tough position i think that could be true of the transfer portal at this position like i just i, I don't think maybe tackle might be unique and that it might not be so fruitful um in the transfer portal um well over the next coming yeah. years and the money that you have to to have to get the the guys that are impact players in the transfer portal is even more than the players from high school. Yeah. What's also, as we've said a million times, a developmental position. And most offensive linemen, even tackles, seem to understand that that they don't have the physical strength, the mental capacity to do what they need to do on a play and play out basis until generally their third year there are exceptions some guys like paris johnson who we even we were calling him a generational prospect since the moment he signed you know reserve role then playing guard and then tackle and it was one year at a high level like i think that most tackles aren't going to hit try and hit fast forward through that they're not expecting that they have to be out there right away i think there's elements of what you're both saying that are true there's not going to be a perfect way to do it ohio state did have to take a tackle because of some of the lag in recruiting before Justin Fry got here to fill the stopgap. But then Bill's point about the future of the position means that this might not ever happen for Ohio State again at tackle. That might not be uh, a position that you have to look at. And there, this was one of the caveats that we threw out going into spring ball. Like, could there be somebody for Ohio State out there? We, do, we don't know. 
because there aren't that many at that position looking to change, looking to go have a different position coach, looking to go learn a new scheme, looking for a new strength coach to develop them. Like this is just an anecdote from from me. Like I don't know, and the sample size is small, but it doesn't feel like that's going to be a regular thing at that particular spot. Yeah, and the transfer portal is so new to the game. I, I saw a graphic posted on Twitter on Thursday um, where someone had said like there was a list of five impact players from the class of 2019 who are who are ready to make an impact this year finally, right? So 2019, so that's Zach Harrison's class, okay? And all five of the guys were transfers. So like it's nobody that had <laughs> stayed where they – nobody that had been where they were actually signed out of high school. So um, – that position group, it does take time to develop. And unless you have a player and a family that understands entirely like that, this is a process um, you are going to generally have to wait a few years to get it. And the kids that don't, the players that have families that are, are really relying on them to be the breadwinner. And uh, like, you're going to see them make decisions early in their careers that lead them into a different opportunity. We saw how many different players from Georgia transfer and they, they've just won back-to-back national championships. And you saw backup offensive lineman who transferred to Miami just to be a starter. Uh, and it's because you're going to get money and, and you're going to have a chance to play. Now, how does that play down the road? I mean, that that's a huge question. Are you better off waiting another year for your turn at Georgia? Or are you better off going to to play somewhere else? And and the kids at Ohio State are going to have to make those decisions. And Ohio State is going to have to dis- determine which kids around the country have, after a year or two in a lesser program most of the time, received the sort of instruction and weight training that they need to actually come to Ohio State and be an impact player. Because otherwise, you have a, a Vic Cutler situation where it might take a year to be ready to play because we saw him this spring like man that he's a lot smaller than you think uh and the difference between the strength and conditioning programs at a place like ohio state or louisiana monroe is is substantial yeah it is i i don't yeah i think you're right there's there's a lot um i think the dynamic of this position in particular could change quite a bit over the next couple of years it seems to it seems to lag behind a little bit like the rest of the roster transformations that are that are happening but i do think it will eventually catch up and to, to burst point get quite expensive uh when it does <laughs> but i think that's if that's the case and you're like you're not quite sure how ohio state might navigate that and and i think there's reason to be confident that that they are figuring that part of it out um but even if if you're not i think this this position group as it stands is a little more strongly positioned i think to to weather that for a couple of years with the simple the simple addition of, of josh simmons yeah yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah, all I, correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the reality is the Midwest is a is a great place to find offensive linemen, but they are offensive linemen that, generally speaking, the impact immediate offensive linemen, the guys that are going to come in as freshmen, are from other parts of the country. So Ohio State's going to have to find a balance between – and that's because spring football and those types of things that they're allowed in other parts of the country, these kids get a chance to develop a little bit earlier. If you look at the NFL draft every year, offensive linemen from the Midwest are right at the top of the list, but those are guys who are fourth- and fifth-year guys, generally not third-year guys. So it, it's finding the right balance. And it seems like in the current group, when you have Josh Fryer and, and Josh Simmons, and now you have um, uh, you know, George Fitzpatrick and, and Luke Montgomery and Tegra Shabola and Zen Mohofsky, and then you've got the two guys that are already signed and the two guys you're looking at and Gerby Lambert and Brandon Baker, like you're going to find a mix. And, and it's about how you just keep all those guys – motivated, confident, and and performing at a level that Ohio State needs out of its tackles. 
Yep, that will continue to be one of the hottest topics of the summer for Ohio State. I'm sure we'll be back for more offensive line thoughts uh, with Bill Landis. They are some of my favorites. Uh, and then Berm uh, can, will be providing some updates, especially as camp season uh, ramps up for Justin Fry, Mike Salini, that group evaluating offensive linemen in June. We'll talk about that throughout the week. And now Bill's going to go on vacation, so the quality mm-hmm. of the rest of the week about to take a dip on the podcast daily, but we'll do the best we can without him. Uh, For Bill and Burr, I'm Austin. We will talk to you later.